Welcome to your new favorite podcast, OMLS, with your host, Aryaman Varma. Here, Aryaman chats with religious leaders, economists, and modern philosophers to help shine a light on the dark corners of economics and religion. So without any further ado, let's kick off this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast, where we'll be discussing the intriguing and thought-provoking topic of the problem of evil. The problem of evil is one of the oldest and most perplexing philosophical issues, and it has challenged thinkers for centuries. It is a problem that raises profound questions about the nature of God, the meaning of human existence, and the relationship between good and evil. In this episode, we will delve into the various arguments surrounding the problem of evil, exploring different perspectives and possible solutions. We will also examine how this problem has been addressed throughout history and how it continues to impact our modern world. So whether you're a believer, a skeptic, or simply curious about the big questions of life, join us for this insightful and thought-provoking discussion. Helping us understand this, I present a theology professor who has taught me and greatly influenced my thinking at Eton College, who is also the head of theology at Eton College, Miss Miller. Just before we get uh, started with the episode, do you mind just explaining a little bit about yourself and telling the audience? Of course. Um, so, as you've already said, I am Miss um, Miller. I am the head of theology and philosophy and ethics at um, Eton College. We refer to that more commonly as Eton, sorry, as head of divinity. Um, outside of that, my background is in philosophy. Um, my most recent postgraduate work is more on the theological side, but traditionally I've always specialised on the philosophy side of things. Sure, thank you very much. Uh, and to get started, what is the problem of evil and why is it considered to be a philosophical problem? Well, traditionally, the problem is a logical one, um, as you know. It's a question really at the heart of, of either the logical or the evidential um, of how to reconcile the existence of evil in the world um, and, I guess, suffering as part of that with the belief of a traditionally omnipotent, omnibenevolent and omniscient God. And what you mentioned the logical and evidential problems of evil. Uh, do you mind just explaining what the difference is? Yeah, and this, this is, I should say, in the history of, of the problem, a, a relatively new idea, um, at least by comparison to kind of human Epicurus before it. Um, the logical form is, is the most traditional one, and that takes a kind of deductive reasoning pattern. And essentially, if the premises are true, then the conclusion follows as a necessity in any kind of deductive reasoning. Um, and so with the logical form, the very presence of evil um, discounts the idea of an omniscient, omnipotent, benevolent God. In the evidential version, um, perhaps what you might see is the more modern version, um, sometimes it's referred to as probabilistic or inductive, um, but it seeks to show that the existence of God, although logically consistent or possibly consistent, there's still um, a kind of lower probability of the truth of theism as a result. And would you say, based on the probabilistic nature, the evidential is probably stronger than the logical? I think it's commonly viewed as such, but I mean, I think there's a slight, a slight misconception at the heart of that in so much as I think the evidential still relies somewhat on the logical. I don't think you can quite as easily separate them as the perhaps the A-level specification suggests. Sure. And um, how do religious traditions address the problem of evil? And what are some of the common responses um, to it? Yeah, it's a good question. So religious responses, of course, can be quite varied, but they tend to centre around reconciling this existence of evil and, and protecting their characteristics of God. 
Um, it's obviously more of a problem for monotheistic religions, I should say. And so typically the Abrahamic religions have responded in one of three ways. I guess you can you can outline those as one, you change what the scope of evil means, to sure. change by definition, so to speak. Two, you change the qualities of God or you lessen the qualities of God in some cases. Or three, you demonstrate there's a purpose for that evil. And I, I suspect most have gone for the third. Right. And you mentioned um, sort of having the omnipotent um, sort of nature of God. Mm. And is for that reason, would you say uh, it is possible for an all-powerful, all-knowing and all-good God uh, to allow evil to exist in the world? Personally? Right. Yeah, question personally, personal, and personally generally, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, I think you do have to relinquish one of the qualities. Um, and for me, I think omnipotence is the one that's easily, easily relegated. And, right. and that's not to say you have a God with no power. Yeah. That's, you know, too reductive. But I think you, you have to perhaps relinquish this idea of complete omnipotence um, or absolute omnipotence. Sure. And um, what role does free will um, and human agency um, have in the problem of evil? Well, for the theistic response, it, it, it can be quite huge. You know, a lot of a lot of these theodicies, a lot of the responses more widely rely on the idea of free will. It becomes pretty vital to the kind of piecing the puzzle together for many theists. Um, and a lot of that centers around the idea that, that the said free will is, is a gift. I think that's the link that often people miss, that it's not just about the existence of free will for theists, but that, that free will is a gift from God. And therefore comes with, if you like, a bit of great responsibility. <laughs> so would you say that f- the free will sort of argument could defend um, the problem of evil? Again, personally, I don't think it can. Right. Um, I don't think it can stand alone as a defence. I think it needs more than that. Um, I think you compare the, the, if you like, you could pair the free will defence with a kind of reduction in omnipotence, and I think you could get something reasonable. Um, but I don't think you can simply rely on free will or use it as a crutch. Uh, and sure, and of course there's um, two different types of evils. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we obviously have moral ones and then we have natural ones. Um, could we make sense of natural ev- evils such as earthquakes and tsunamis um, while still arguing that God is benevolent? Well, people certainly tried. They yeah. have certainly tried. Um, I think it's an interesting one because typically we know that the the natural evil that you've just spoken of poses a bigger problem to God. Right. Um, you know, we can get so far with moral evil and we can square it off with free will if we like, but the, the problem we have is this is this natural evil. Um, now to answer your question more directly, can, can we do much up with it? Well, you can take an Augustinian route if you like and, and talk about the kind of Genesis disruption. Right. But it's, it only really appeals to a certain set of people. Um, there's there's more modern takes on natural evil. Quite, again, trying to kind of put explanation behind that natural evil was in terms of climate change and disruption and alike. But I think it's complex and it becomes quite far-reaching in my eyes. Um, so bottom line, I think you have to come back to again a reduction in omnipotence if you want to save something. Sure, of course. And um, a bit more generally, uh, is the problem of evil just a challenge to theism? Uh, or could it also potentially be uh, a challenge to other worldviews? Um, it can. I don't really see why it would pose a problem for other worldviews. In in all honesty, I think I think it's it's certainly something that other worldviews may want to grapple with and may want to make light of. And 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 I guess in some ways, ethical discourse might centre around how we deal with evil, um, in a secular way. 
but I don't think it is as much of a problem. No, I think I think the heart of the problem relies on atheistic belief. And what are some of the strengths and uh, weaknesses um, of different approaches to the problem of evil, such as the soul making theology? Uh, some of the strengths and weaknesses, typically, um, I mean, if we take the soul making, I guess you in strength you have this idea that you have solved, so to speak, um, the kind of the difficulty behind evil for the everyday person um, in so much as you've offered it purpose. You've, you've offered an explanation as to why it's there. You've offered a benefit, if you like, a net benefit of why its existence is necessary. That benefit being, you know, a development in character, a development in virtue, and, and I guess an outweighing of good um, for some versions of soul-making theology, not all. And then, of course, you've got the the weaknesses um, and I guess for me perhaps the most problematic there being you know the disproportionate nature of evil and right. the, the lack of ability for the if I guess if we're referencing the Irenaean theodicy for that to deal with those kind of issues and um, for you a bit more personally here mm. um, would you say that the soul making theodicy has more strengths um, or weaknesses personally yeah. I think it has more weaknesses Right, okay. I, I, well, I say I don't think it has a quantitative amount of weaknesses that I'm concerned about. It's it's the it's for me. I think it's very difficult to overcome the disproportionate problem. Um, and how do uh, moral uh, evils fit into the problem of evil? And um, what do they tell us about the nature of evil? Yeah, I mean, moral evils, as I suggest, don't perhaps cause as many problems as natural evils do. Um, but they might tell us more about the nature of evil, to answer your question in a more full way. I suspect with moral evils, we we need more explanation about the composition of, of humanity and the composition of the, the self, so to speak. Um, and that's something that's reflected through all areas of, I guess, human works, you know, literature, art generally, is constantly trying to grapple with and explore this, this human nature, what it is and, and why it has these different elements to it. Um, so what can they tell us? Well, I guess the problem of evil can, can explain a lot in terms of psychological disposition, but we can't really get much more beyond our reflections on that, I think. And, and so for you, uh, would you say that moral evils um, would be quite sort of easy to attack uh, in the sense that it doesn't disprove the existence of God? I think so, yeah. I think... With, with one caveat, if you, if you will. I think the caveat that we would need, you know, in time, more neurological explanation as to why some people are perhaps more inclined to evil um, in spite of having quite idyllic parental backgrounds and, and childhoods. Um, so, you know, forgive me for not being able to name somebody off the top of my head, but, sure. you know, we, we, we undoubtedly encounter serial killers and the like who, who don't seem to have some kind of serious neglectful past that, you know, might explain tendencies. Um, it seems instead that there's something neurologically going on there. And if that is the case, of course, that, that does question some creative elements of God. Um, so, but I think otherwise, I think without that kind of caveat, yes, I think that it's less problematic to the theistic problem. Right, and you um, mentioned the idea of having a God that isn't omnipotent. Mm. Um, so does the problem of evil really call into the question of the existence of God or just the idea um, that it's an omnipotent God uh, and an all-powerful God? And uh, why do most theists want to defend um, the 
sort of idea that God is omnipotent. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is only a personal response, but I think this for me goes back to a kind of a prior understanding of the the nature, the natural world, and and the physics within that. I guess, and and if I can elaborate, what I mean is that there was a requirement for God to be omnipotent for a long time because there was a lack, or there was a gap in explanation about other elements of the world, um, and I think. You know, and, and I understand the disposition why someone would want God to be all-powerful you know, in order to be worthy of worship. But I think in time we've come to accept, as we have in many other areas of life, that this kind of tyrannical, all-powerful you know, figure just yeah. isn't really necessary anymore. Um, so I think people, or at least some within faith, so certainly within Christianity, are turning towards the benevolence being at the heart of what you would want from a God. Right, and you mentioned how... Um sort of not having an omnipotent God can call into question other aspects mm. um, of belief in him or her. Um, mm. But what... For, so how would you respond to someone saying that if God is not omnipotent, could he create the world? Yeah, and that's what I, I think I alluded to at the beginning. I don't think you need to completely um, denounce God of any you know, potency. Of course he would be powerful or she would be powerful yeah. um, to follow your set there. Yeah. You know, the, the God could still have, you know, a serious amount of power. I won't, I won't put a finite measure on it, but much, much more so than, than human capability. And, and if you look what kind of human, humans have created and what they are capable of over time, um, that only kind of leads as a demonstration as to what God could do um, in terms of creative quality for this for this world or this universe, whatever it might be. Sure, and um, can we derive moral values and duties from the existence of evil, or does evil um, completely undermine the possibility of having objective moral standards? Okay, the, yeah, I mean, to answer those slightly separately, if I can, that I guess Irenaeus would say that we can develop morals as a result of our response to evil, um, but I don't think we can derive them directly from evil. Um, I mean, it, I think that would rely on evil being a substance, which, um, again, would need a qualification, I think. Um, I think what we could do is respond to evil, and that might offer us those moral duties and those moral values, and I think many ethical theories have tried to do that. Um, of course, that all comes down to what you think evil is, which is a very different different <laughs> side of things. Um, to undermine the possibility of objective moral standards, I, I mean, the very existence of evil alone doesn't. In fact, you could argue it warrants objective standards in so much as, you know, if we, if we define evil as right. such, as X, then X allows us to define what, what is objectively wrong. So I don't think it, it certainly doesn't undermine the possibility, but it might it might allow the relativists to make ground in terms of if we deny that evil is a substance in, in, in a very typical way, then instead we can suggest that actually it's about limitation of suffering or limitation of pain, um, and that would allow a much more relativist concept of morality to exist. Right, and you mentioned suffering. Mm. Uh, and so what role does suffering play in our understanding of the problem of evil? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it often gets neglected in the whole discourse around evil. Because um, I think often people are referring to suffering when they refer to evil, at least in the modern sense. You know, evil's a strange term. Um, and this is something students don't often grapple with much. But, you know, it's quite an antiquated term in many ways. And, and right. I think it's hard to deny that it has religious connotations as well. Sure. Um, but I digress. Like, well, you know, what is the role of suffering? Well, I think most people would 
necessitate some level of suffering in their in their understanding of evil. Um, so I think to answer the question, it, it yeah, it's it's part and parcel of what we understand evil to be. So do you think a um, person of religious faith mm. should be comfortable in accepting suffering? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, more so for some faiths than others. Um, it's an easy one to to groundbreak on, but. You know, within Christianity, certainly, it's the very example and role of Christ. Right, and how how does one make sense of the existence of unjustified or gratuitous um, <laughs> evils? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a difficult one. Again, for a Christian, it's I don't know if if there's much leaning on this, but it's certainly easier because Christ, you know, certainly had unjustified suffering. So right. the model of Christ would would allow Christians at least to to rely on that alone. But beyond that, you know, it, this is a more problematic part of the puzzle. You know, this is why Roe entered the scene and and wrote as he did on the evidential argument because there's something particularly unjust about the suffering that is you know completely gratuitous or innocent or whatever kind of version of that you want to see. So to answer the question, um, it's hard. I don't know. You'd have to you'd have to square off the evidential problem, which some scholars think they have done. Sure. And you mentioned Roe. Mm. So, um, what are your views on his concepts of unfriendly and friendly atheism? My views, um, I, I, well, I like his discourse. I'll put it that way. Um, I think certainly, you know, in a very polarized world and a very polarized version of this atheistic de- uh, theistic debate i think he it's admirable that he tried to set out a rationalistic version of its um theory without denouncing religion altogether um i don't know if he was entirely successful in that aim sure. <laughs> it's very difficult to do so um admittedly but I, I i appreciate the discourse in that sense um so to speak and and share that view with him so is the problem of evil um, a purely intellectual issue or can it have some practical implications for how we live our lives and interact with others? I mean, I think regardless to what you think evil is, it undoubtedly has a practical impact on, on people's life. And I think going back to what we've just discussed, it, that has to do with the fact that it necessitates some form of suffering. Um, and suffering is ex- you know, its only experience, isn't it? We know that. So I do think it has practical implications. I don't think we can deny that. Whether it has practical implications in terms of how we interact with others, which is perhaps a more interesting question. Um, yeah, I think it does. I think it motivates a lot of eth- ethical theory, um, including religious ethical theory. You know, the, the teachings of Christ are, again, along those lines. Um, this idea that the marginalised, the oppressed, the physically suffering, whatever it might be, need to be included, um, not alongside other versions of his um, ministry, the, you know, the suffering he, in, he suffered himself. So I think it, it certainly can. You can derive implications sure. from that. And again, personally for you, mm. how would you um, sort of deal with an unjustified evil that may have occurred to you? Me personally? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I'm very conscious not to try and shed too much light yeah. on my own personal belief, but sure. I am very privileged to have not had too much unjustified suffering right. um, that, that I have. I... I have gained strength from so I guess it's closest akin would be some kind of kind of soul making theodicy if you like uh, that's not to say I think that's a solution for, for evil I think it's just a reflection of how I've experienced sure and just to go off a bit on a tangent mm. um, how would you sort of okay. just to go off on a bit of a tangent mm. um, please do what do you think that being rich is a blessing 
um, or I mean, what's your approach on sort of having uh, wealth and based on the Bible and stuff like that? Um, I <laughs> have to be rich to answer that question. And <laughs> uh, no, that's unfair. Um, I'm certainly like all of us in in the one percent at least. So um, I I think it's certainly a blessing. Um, I think it would be ignorant and and slightly facetious to say it's not a blessing. But I think if perhaps what you're alluding to is the Christian message, as you say, then you know it's something that becomes a burden. You know. You should, we know that a rich man can't enter into heaven. Um, sure. It's more likely for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle. So in those circumstances, it's pretty damning from the Christian faith perspective. You, right. you know, being rich is, is not a good thing. <laughs> so if that's what you mean, yeah. you know, trying to carry the weight of your Christian faith, if you are Christian, uh-huh. and your wealth is, is difficult. Um, and surely if you have acquired such extreme amounts of mm. wealth, if you donate to charity, is that an acceptable mm. way of getting uh, sort of back into heaven? Well, I mean, under some understandings of, of the New Testament, yes, but the, the problem is how much, you know, the proportionality right. of that donation is, is Do you is think difficult. there should be a percent proportionality? Um, I mean, some religions have gone down that route, haven't yeah. they? Um, Islam yeah. and Judaism certainly have, have, have fixed this idea of how much is a minimum requirement. Um, I don't think that my personal interpretation of the New Testament is, is, I think it's pretty much as much as you can. You know, it's not, right. you know, when we think about the old woman who gives the, the small amount, but it's, you know much of her yeah. earnings yeah. I think that's reflective from Christ sure. of you should be given as much as you possibly can yeah so that makes sense it's more to do with the proportionality than the actual number I think so but yeah. as I say I'm, I'm not um, ordained <laughs> <laughs> but um, how would most theists um, sort of defend uh, the belief in God um, with such extreme events such as genocide and slavery and the holocaust obviously yeah that's a huge question yeah. um, I mean obviously it goes without saying that different um, Theists will do completely different things here. Um, I suspect a lot of that human evil um, will have to come back to even some Old Testament work for Christianity. This this idea that God, you know, tried to show us a new way, tried to show us constantly how to evolve um, on a social level, emotional level, and so I think those huge, you know, huge huge moments in history where we got it wrong as either bystanders or perpetrators I think that would be a a complete misgiving from God and I guess the only way you can really reconcile the the kind of all-powerful side of God is again to accept that it's not something he willed and it's not something that he wanted um in some ways again I go off on a tangent here but I don't think it's quite as problematic to God in so much as you, you kind of can see on what grounds would he intervene. Um, I think it'd be difficult in that sense. I think it's, I personally find the gratuitous evil perhaps more problematic to God, the one, the kind of evil that you can't really kind of relate straight back to human. Sure, human. and um, with regards to responses mm. um, to the problem of evil, are there any like common threads um, or similarities between the responses? between like religious responses yeah, um, religious. yeah I, there's, I'm sure there are um, comparatively speaking I suspect free will does emerge across them all I think there's a tendency or a general pattern within eastern traditions to focus on the kind of spiritual ignorance side of things and I guess the general pattern on the western front so to speak um, is more the kind of evil being seen as an effect of moral, moral ignorance and, and or moral 
discourse that we, we, we haven't reconciled, so to speak. Um, and I guess you could argue that they're quite similar. Um, but I think be all and end all, you're going to end up with, you know, human action being at the heart of it. And what would, um, in your opinion, be like the strongest defence um, to the problem of evil, except for the um, sort of God's not omnipotent? So what would most this actually um, say that their strongest defence? Yes. Good question. Um, again, I wouldn't want to kind of bring them all under one, one kind of roof. I know, you know, Judaism and Buddhism would certainly go for a different route than what I'm about to propose. But I think generally theists would go for this idea that it's about the good that we conduct in the world. Right. Okay. So, so I guess akin to Irenaean theodicy kind of side of things. Sure. Can we derive hope and comfort from the existence of evil, or does it ultimately lead to nihilism and despair? Um, I mean, obviously, it completely depends on your disposition, but I don't think we can be entirely nihilistic about it. I think, you know, that just wouldn't be pragmatic. We all encounter evil to certain extents. Um, certainly not as much as each other, you know, or much as our fellow man sometimes, but I don't think nihilism is, is the only route there um so can we derive hope and comfort well uh, i think it's a, a big leap to say comfort but certainly hope um i think a lot of scholars theists and atheists alike would suggest that you know it offers us hope for humanity in the you know the existence of compassion as a response and um what are some of the ethical um and practical implications of different solutions to the problem of evil, like, for example, the son of a car, more forgiving, uh, more pacifist, etc. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, you've just named some of them. I guess just general humanitarian response is, is big. Um, you, can, you can hash this up in so many ways, but practically speaking, that would be the primarily the kind of route most people would go down, a humanitarian action that they perhaps wouldn't have taken up before. Um, whether that be pacifism, as you say, or charitable work or activism. Um, but again, they can have psychological impacts and dispositions as well. Um, yeah. And how, how can we avoid the dangers of small scholarly, but how can mm. we avoid the dangers of simplistic or reductionist approaches to the problem of evil um, and instead engage with its complexity and nuances? Yeah, you mean from the theistic side or from the atheistic side? Well, we can go from both. Okay. Uh, well, from the theistic side, I think... You know, personally, again, and everyone's entitled to their belief, I don't think we can go down the, the kind of fideistic, just faith-based program. Um, I think it's too complex and grand of a problem for that. Um, so that would be a kind of reductionist approach that I would avoid. On the atheistic side, in terms of posing the problem itself, again, I, d I don't think... And I think the lesson that's been learned on the atheistic side is that we can't rely wholly on the logical problem of evil because I think it's too propositional um it needs it doesn't it doesn't account for you know any kind of response and pragmatic understanding of of evil um so instead it does have to turn to much more probabilistic argument and are there any like uh new theories that are emerging or like any scholars or thinkers um sort of having current debates and trying to find a new solution yeah certainly um i mean there's new scholars and debates happening all over on this topic because it just simply hasn't been resolved you know right. it's been described as you know as the rock of atheism for yeah. many so I, I, I don't i don't think it's going away anytime soon but it certainly 
the impact of the rock has lessened. Um, I think people are starting to respond in, in different ways from the modal argument um, to kind of really, really kind of <laughs> complex Theistic models or um, yeah <laughs> from that perspective these kind of Bayesian style logical problems have expanded the whole the whole notion of, of how we deliver the problem we want. I understand this is a very difficult question especially asking someone who is a person of faith but would you accept uh, an atheist have, not having a belief in God based on the problem of evil would you say that's rational from them? Um, I mean, just just for the record, I've, I've never said I'm a person of faith, but I don't, sorry. I can still answer the question though, yeah. I, I, I certainly think there's grounds for a rationalistic atheist belief in the problem of evil, um, but I think that's as far as it goes. Yeah, sure. Uh, and ultimately, uh, what can the problem of evil teach us about the human condition? Yeah, I mean, this is perhaps the most interesting part of it for me in some, in some ways. Um, because that's the bit that really hasn't unfolded properly yet. It's starting to, but you know the likes of Zimbardo and Milgram have, have really focused on this, and that's for me where the most interesting aspects of it lie. What can we know? Well, if Zimbardo is anything to go by, then we all have the capacity for it, um, and we need to get rid of this notion of of, of kind of falling from from grace and falling from um, some kind of set standard because we. In, under the right conditions, we would all do the same thing. And what can the um, problem of evil sort of tell us about the nature of reality? Should people be more understanding that evil is an inevitable um, sort of action? Yeah, again, that kind of... It does depend on how we define evil, of course. Um, but the scales of evil, I guess, are, are part of the difficulty in answering that question. If, if we talk about the kind of everyday, so to speak, suffering that we might encounter, then yeah, I think people have already and, and are quite willing to accept that that's the nature of reality and that's where we go. But going back to your previous question about you know genocide and, and slavery and, and things that we haven't reconciled fully yet, then of course, I don't know if it, people do want to accept that's part of the nature of reality. Sure, and finally, um, what does the problem of evil teach us about the possibilities for transcendence and transformation? Again, from a religious perspective, it, that's huge. Um, and I think this is a new, not a new thought, but certainly one that I think at least liberal theologians are tapping into more and more, this idea that actually it, it, in the face of suffering, in the face of evil, we, we certainly can reform um, both morally, ethically, but also perhaps spiritually um, in a more transcendent way, as you suggest. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on the problem of evil. We hope this discussion has given you a deeper understanding of this fascinating philosophical issue and the various arguments and solutions that surround it. As always, we encourage you to continue exploring these topics and to engage in your own philosophical inquiry. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us again for our next episode where we'll be delving into another intriguing topic. For more information about the Omelas podcast, please feel free to visit the website omelas.podbean.com where you can also ask questions and post reviews. Thanks once again to everyone listening and a huge thank you to Miss Miller, whose knowledge has been imperative. Until then, stay curious, stay thoughtful and keep questioning the world around you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Omelas podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.